The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Scottsdale, Arizona. And I want to say right up front that our hearts go out to the individuals and the families whose lives were so impacted by the bombing at the Boston Marathon. Who would have ever expected that? You know, but my question is, with all the talk about changing the gun laws and tightening security and all of that, why aren't we looking at some of the underlying anger and the fear, the, this energy of violence? What on earth is all this about? And why are we seeing all of this? Today on the news here in Phoenix, um, there was an announcement that one of the elementary schools not too far away from me had a bomb in it and they evacuated the children. I have not since heard a report of their findings, but, I mean, this is unheard of here. I I think right right close to home. It always happens close to somebody's home, but, you know, it it, it isn't something that we're used to. Take a look at the self-improvement blog today. You'll see a message there from Project Meditation. You'll look for the pink lotus. I rarely ever put a pink lotus on. I did today so you could find this. They sent a message about the Boston bombing, and they also sent a free gift of a new meditation track they've just released on inner peace. You can uh, download it right there on the self-improvement blog. This is a different kind of meditation. It's a brainwave entrainment type meditation. There's no speaking. It's very different. I listened to a little bit of it, and you'll hear a cat purring which is a very healing sound, and uh, my guess is they take you down to maybe a theta level for the meditation. I will, I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a, enough time put together that I can sit down and experience the whole thing. Anyway, take a look at it and download that meditation if you're so inclined, if you like these things. If you've never experienced brainwave entrainment, um, before, this is a good way to experience it. It's really quite lovely. Next week's show begins one hour earlier. Next week, we'll start at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern. We're moving to Voice America's new empowerment channel. We're going to be playing with the big kids now. 
The self-improvement blog will have all the details, so take a look there. Uh, we'll keep, catch you all up to date on the whole thing. Uh, today on the self-improvement blog, you'll find Dr. Jeffrey Rubin's picture and a bio, as well as a review of his book, Meditative Psychotherapy. Uh, the blog changes every day, so I encourage you to visit there a lot. Um, but today it has some really special things on it. It's the self-improvement blog. Dot com. It's very timely that today we have a psychotherapist on the show. Dr. Jeffrey Rubin is a practicing psychotherapist and teacher of meditation in New York City and Bedford Hills, New York. He is the author of the new ebook, Meditative Psychotherapy. I encourage you to go to Amazon and get that now even. Um, and the critically acclaimed The Art of Flourishing, which is a lovely book. We talked about it when he was on before. I think that was in July of 2011. Um, you might want to take a look at that book as well. Dr. Rubin has taught at various universities, psychoanalytic institutes, and Buddhist and yoga centers. He is considered one of the leading integrators of the Western psychotherapeutic and eastern meditative traditions and we're going to talk about that today he runs private study groups on um, dreams and meditation and meditation and psychotherapy he lectures around the country and has given workshops at the united nations the esalen institute the open center and the 92nd street y his pioneering approach to psychotherapy and buddhism has been featured in the New York Times Magazine. He was with us in July of 2011, as I said, and I'm delighted to welcome him back today. Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Thanks, Irene. Glad to be back. so nice to hear from you again. For those listeners who didn't hear you when you were on before, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I, I wear a variety of professional hats. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City in Bedford Hills, New York. Um, I'm a meditation teacher. Uh, I'm a writer and a public speaker workshop leader. You have a and number I guess of my, books my, out. My, I, I guess my big passion is integrating the wisdom of Eastern meditative traditions and Western psychotherapeutic traditions. What I found in my own search and, and what I've observed in a lot of people that I've worked with and people that I've known is that the careful integration of the wisdom of each tradition creates something that's richer than either one pursued alone. And I, I really am looking forward to talking about that because I find it very strong and I like the way you've done it. it you, you didn't just patch them together. You've woven them together. And this is my point of view, of course. You've woven them in a way that makes it a whole new discipline almost. Maybe it, we can take the almost off. Um, and it, it seems that it's strengthened both of them. But before we get into that, could we talk just a little bit about all of this violence we're seeing from a psychotherapist's point of view? What's your take on what's happening in this country? I mean, I have two, uh, three major reactions. One is our, our hearts go out to people in Massachusetts and, and people everywhere where this is happening or it's threatening to happen. So that's just one thing I want to say. And, and the second is I think that you were right in what you started to say before, Irene, that 
we need to look at things like uh, guns, but we also need to look at the sort of the culture of violence that I think uh, surrounds us. And, you know, I look at some of the problems in the culture as the kind of shadow side of dominant mainstream values in the culture, that they're just pushed all the way to the edge. So we really live in a culture of violence, and we live in a culture where, you know, defeating people and beating people is 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 honored. And um, some of this is the shadow side of that. The other thing I want to say is that it's hard. The, the, at moments like this, it's easy to demonize individuals and not try to get to the deeper causes. And I think the causes are not simple, and they vary depending on the person. There's no bullet point we can say about how to produce someone that would you know would do this unconscionable violence it comes from fear it comes from anger but it also comes from powerlessness people that just feel utterly powerless that are trying to make an impact and in terms of how to respond one really crucial thing is that some of the cutting edge stuff in psychoanalysis on trauma um, Robert Stollero has written about this, for example, talks about the way in trauma there's no home for people's feelings. So those of us that are not mm. directly involved in, in Boston, for example, or in Newtown, or even in, in the school uh, stuff you talked about earlier in Arizona, we need to try to prov provide a home that people that are going through this have for their feelings so they don't have to go through the feelings alone. That's really, really crucial. Often something that's excruciating does not have to become trauma, but it does become trauma when someone has to go through it, emotionally go through it alone. That's a very interesting point. You know, my mind goes to, we've had guns around since the beginning of this country, but we've never had all this violence. So why aren't we looking to see what's underneath? It's like, you know, lift up the rug and look at what's going on under there. Look, one thing I think that's going on, and we saw this, we saw this some time ago with a politician years ago. I think it was Eagleton. You know, there's oh, yeah. historically been a split, I think, between politics and the law. I mean, between psychology and, um, politics and the law and psychology. And I think there needs to be an integration of them both. And I think that we often look, public figures often look superficially for the solution. And then we have a populace that is frustrated and that wants, you know, we have a culture with the Internet that's pulling for bullet point responses to things. And we've gotten intellectually lazy, I think. And we need to get to the root causes more than we, more than we tend to. But it, 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 it doesn't play very well. It's not very PC to say that, but often you'll see politicians and their answers to things are band-aids, you know what I mean, instead of getting to the root, root causes. But we need to look more at the root causes if we really want to shift the culture, right. I think. Well, we have such an instant society, we want everything done right now, and so we almost push them to find yeah. a quick fix. What do yeah. you think is the influence of the absolute wall-to-wall -wall coverage of the media on these things. I mean, we get detail, little tiny details, hour after hour after hour, if you keep... I mean, I, I don't watch it, but I, every time I turn it on, it's still going. So I turn it back off. Well, uh, I think, you know, I, I noticed, I'm, you know, live in New York, and I noticed after 9-11 that some of my clients would have trouble sleeping, and when we explored it, one of the things that came out 
whether they'd be listening to late-night talk radio or they'd be watching constant accounts of negative news. And one way I came to understand it was that they were desperately trying to make sense of what eluded them. So, you know, hearing the yeah. 25th account of the Patriot Act or a bill getting passed or defeated was a way to attempt to make sense of it. So I think that's one thing that's going on. The, another thing that goes on, it ends up making people uh, anesthetized and numb, I think. What about if you feel like nobody sees you, you know, nobody knows you're there? If you do this violent thing, you're going to be on endless news. Is that a factor? Absolutely. That's why I used the word powerless before. And this is not very PC either, but we like to, you know, demonize people that do this, and we like to just think they're, you know, they're sick and they're mentally ill, and they they are troubled. But what we don't see is that they also can be vulnerable, and they can also have gone through hell, and that some of what they do some of the time is is a kind of Band-Aid solution to a deeper problem that the, that's going on in their life that they don't even understand. So sometimes the way people handle powerlessness is try to strike out in the wrong sort of way to feel less powerless. Interesting. It's a, it's a hard one. You know, I, I wish we could have more public dialogue of the deeper issues that are are happening or at play here in, instead of some of just the superficial reporting. I yeah, and the other don't thing see is that happening. The, the populace correctly picks up that most of the politicians, frankly, don't really care about what's the right thing to do. They care about what's the expedient thing to do. So, I mean, I think we saw this. Uh, you know, we saw this, uh, we see this with the voting on, on the guns, for example. They're not saying what does, what do we really need and we're not, they're not, uh, there are less and less people in the culture right now who are I would call honorable. You know what I mean? That have a set of values that they're standing beyond. And that's what we need in public life right now. People I couldn't agree with honor. you more. I'm sorry? I couldn't agree with you more. I wish we had some statesmen. Yeah. There are no statesmen, or there are few, very, very few statesmen. And that's what we need, too. So that throws the, po- the populace back on, on sort of knowing that there's escalating negative stuff going on, and there's no one sort of watching their back. They can't, we don't, there's, there's a crisis of trust in the culture and a crisis of faith. And we look at our politicians and feel even more powerless. Yes. Or less so powerful. I don't know the, the best way to say that. One of the ways we handle the powerlessness is try to make sense of it ourselves. And that can lead to watching news 24-7 and, you know, and obsessing about it and, and so forth and so on. And my nine-year-old grandson is here on school break, and he keeps running in to see if I know whether they found them. He, he's just really tuned into it. And it's sad for me to see that he has to grow up with this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's literally traumatic in that it's the unthinkable coming into daily life, that which we, we can't process coming into our daily lives. My guess is that you're going to see more and more people who are coming to see you because of the, the trauma they're experiencing with all of this 
you know, in in their own neighborhoods or just hearing about it on the news or you know, how do I and deal I think, with this? What's happening to me? Absolutely, and I me? think in the Northeast in the last year there have actually been three what I call cultural traumas. The storm was a cultural trauma in that Huge, the, unthinkable, yes. the unthinkable happened, which is people were not safe in their own homes. And then uh, Newtown shootings. Yeah, so it's it's um, it's overwhelming for people, and then they just try to make sense of it. Yeah. The and can. then a, a celebration really is what the Boston Marathon is. It's a celebration of health and endurance, and you know, it, it's it was Patriots Day. It was all the good things that we come together to do. Yeah. And yeah. it happened there. And, and that takes us right up to time for a break. And when we come back, we're really going to get into talking about this wonderful new book, The, the Marriage of Meditation and Psychotherapy. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, saying stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more on the self Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self improvement show. This is Irene Conlon, my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin. We're going to talk about his wonderful little book, Meditative Psychotherapy. Um, Dr. Rubin, this, this is really a whole new idea about an approach to, to helping people to, to psychotherapy. How did you come to realize that you could combine meditation with psychotherapy and come out with a whole new way to help people? You know, I've studied both for a long time and felt that both were enormously helpful in my own life and in the lives of, of a lot of other people. And I began to feel that the ways they were often brought together were pretty good, but we could do much better. Even today, and it's oh, I first got into it a, a long time ago, and uh, even today, what the integration often is, is therapists meditating or clients meditating. It's basically how Eastern meditative traditions can help Western therapists, 
science and therapy. And that's great, but I think we can, we can do much better. And what I'm trying to do in this book is, is create an, uh, an open dialogue, a reciprocal dialogue, where we respect each tradition, we admit where they're different, uh, they're both uh, open and vulnerable and willing to learn from each other, and then we see what new things can happen when they're brought together. And, and I, what I began to see over time, Irene, is when I approached the dialogue in that spirit, all sorts of new things emerged about how they could help each other. And so this model of what I call meditative therapy, which has three elements, it's, it's what I call genuine listening, where you listen to someone, not listen for confirmation of what you already believe, and you listen on two channels at once to what's conscious, what's being stated, and what's hidden, what's not being stated. So the first is genuine listening. And the second stage, which deviates from a lot of the attempts to bring together meditation and therapy, is what I call understanding and meaning, where you're interested in translating or decoding what emerges when you listen. What, because a lot of, the, what happens to a lot of people meditating is they tune into what's going on in their minds or in their bodies, and they don't quite do enough with it as, as they might. In other words, they feel it, they experience it, and then they let go and move on to the next thing. But what I say to people is that feelings are like letters to ourselves from ourselves. And when we don't listen to them, like when we don't pick up mail, certain kind of mail, we're going to get a notice from the post office. And the notices in our own being are, are dreams or nightmares or uh, physical symptoms or major illness. So a lot of times what I've seen with a lot of meditators is they end up getting to detach from what they're feeling. They feel it for a bit, but they don't go into it enough. They, they touch it and they go away from it too much. And what I'm really talking about here is how to touch, use meditation and any kind of awareness discipline. It could be Tai Chi or yoga or yogic breathing to touch into what we're experiencing and then to go into it and figure out what it means, what it's trying to say to us. There's a line in the Talmud, a dream unanalyzed is like a letter unopened. Yes. So what I'm suggesting in this in this model is that we open not every letter. Some things that go on in our minds are just kind of spam, but some things really are worth paying attention to, especially those things, uh, conflicts we keep getting into in relationships, or circular patterns where we feel stuck in our lives, not reaching our goals, or ethical gaps, gaps between our or cherished values, maybe religious, maybe not spiritual values, and then our actual behavior. We actually look at, look at all this. That's what I mean by understanding and meaning. And then the final stage of meditative therapy is we use tuned-in relationships, relationships with empathy, of, of self-reflectiveness, of freedom, and of creativity in order to be the um, arena in which we play out our old conditioning and an opportunity to learn new ways of being together. And you've raised so many questions, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, one question I have is, how do you listen on several levels at a time? How do you listen to the unconscious and the conscious at the same time? I mean, a crucial thing for me is this idea that I say when I, when I supervise therapists. There's a real difference uh, between listening to someone and listening for something. And I had this experience years ago with my first yoga teacher, Joel Kramer, 
where I took a walk with him. He's a wonderful uh, writer and teacher in Northern California. And I took a walk with him after a weekend yoga workshop that he gave. And I was at a crossroads in my life. Was I going to move to California and, and study with him? And, uh, uh, or was I going to stay in New York and maybe study Western therapy? And I felt this quality of attention when he was listening to me that he had no agenda. And he ended up saying, what I'm hearing is you need to stay in New York and study therapy. In other words, he wasn't listening in, in what I call an autistic way, where you just you believe something and you're listening for confirmation. A lot of the public political discourse is autistic listening. No one's ever convinced. Everyone already has the answer. No one really listens to each other. And this quality of listening I'm talking about is really different. You know it when you're in the receiving end of it. You can feel it. It's when someone is just really listening to you without an agenda. They just want to... It's like an artist looking at an animal or looking at a tree, and they're not judging it's good or bad. They're just taking in what it is. It's isness, you could, you could think of it as. And so when you listen in that way, it becomes easier to pick up what's being stated and also what's being ignored. I, I call it stereophonic listening, listening on two channels. It, but it's easy to do that when we're holding whatever we believe lightly rather than tightly. And this is what you call listening with a beginner's mind. Exactly. You, you don't as, know, as some so of you, you can't may know judge. Out there, what, what Irene is referring to is this uh, important line from a, a wonderful Zen book by the founder of the San Francisco Zen Center, uh, Shunrai Suzuki Roshi. And he said, in the mind of the expert, possibilities are few. In the mind of the beginner, possibilities are endless. Always keep beginner's mind. Now, there's a place, of course, to be an authority and to be an expert. We need that in the culture. You want your dentist to be an expert. You want the car mechanic to be an expert. But in, in human interpersonal realms, we also want to have this spirit of openness, where one is, uh, is not convinced ahead of time, but there's room in the mind, there's room in the heart to take in what the other person's saying in a relationship. You want to be able to hear what your partner's saying, not just keep discovering what you already believe. I mean, I believe that a, a, a reason that a lot of therapists get burnt out is not just managed care or the contemporary quick-fix environment that affects, affects clients and makes them want quick, some clients want quick fixes. That's all true, but another reason I think a lot of therapists get burnt out is I think it's boring to just discover what you, quote, discover what you already believe. You don't learn anything new all day long. I would, I'd go crazy if that happened. Do you know what I mean? I do so, know what. You already have it in your mind what they're going to say. Yeah. Or what, what, you, what you want them to say sometimes. Yes. In the art of flourishing, I call this, uh, in a chapter on, on relationships and intimacy, I say that over a long period of time working with couples, the biggest obstacle I've seen to couples' success and intimacy is not what we would tend to think. I don't think it's money, although that can stress people out. I don't think it's in-laws, although that can stress people out. I don't think it's kids, although that can stress people out. I think the biggest thing is this a paradigm, this model of trying to win. Because once you're trying to win, you have a, what they call a zero-sum game. To have a winner, you have to have a loser. And so if you defeat your partner, they're just going to seek revenge at, at, at a dinner party when there are other people around and you're held hostage and you can't go anywhere. They're going to come out with something you know, hurtful. They're going to feel disappointed. 
So it's not a good model to, to have uh, people trying to defeat each other in a relationship. How do we get from competition to cooperation in um, in society, in relationships, in government? And how do we get? I mean, we're a very competitive society. You know, competition has a real value. Evolutionarily, it does. It hones excellence. It really does. We need to see that that needs to be blended, integrated with cooperation. And one way of doing this skillfully is to show people it's actually in their best interest to be more cooperative. Because we all know this. We know that when we go the extra nine yards with someone else and we say, you know, Say more about where you feel I'm not hearing you, or say more about what you feel I'm doing that's contributing to the problem. If they're a good-hearted, fair person, they will return the favor, and then you start what what Bill Bradley in um, Values of the Game, uh, his reflections on what he learned about life from his basketball career, he calls a virtuous circle instead of a vicious cycle. A lot of the time we're involved in a, you know, a vicious cycle. It's what people quoting Einstein in 12-step program call insanity, continuing to do what doesn't work and expecting different results. That's a lot of what we call relationships, and that's a lot of what we call, you know, political conversation. But I, if I were, had the power, what I would do is show people it's not actually in their own individual interests. But if they cooperate, it's going to it's going to come back to them because the other person, again, if they're fair-minded, is going to try harder to return the favor. And then you start this virtuous circle going where I try harder because you've tried harder and now you try harder because I've tried harder, and that becomes the new normal. And it opens up a whole new way to dialogue, doesn't it? Exactly. One of the things, I was once at a party next to Peggy Noonan, the columnist for Wall Street Journal, who wrote, I think she was Nixon's speechwriter. And I said, one of the interesting things about talk shows is that there's almost no dialogue. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, whether it's left wing, right wing, I don't care. Does the host ever learn anything new? Rarely. Because what they do is either they pick a guest who confirms their views, or they pick a guest who's a foil that they can critique or deconstruct, that's not dialogue, and that's not learning anything new. And, and the other thing is, when, once one does this oneself, it feels so much more real and alive to listen in this way. Well, I say this when I teach people meditation. I say, if you don't know what, you're, what you'll find when you meditate, you may find what you don't know. And that's heartwarming. That's exciting. That's, uh, it's vivifying. It makes you come alive when that happens. So and on people... that note, Dr. Rubin, we need to go to break. And when we come back, I want to pick this up and talk more about meditation. Uh, stay tuned. This is Irene Conlon with Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, and we'll be right back with more. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Step up to the microphone. View the finalists right now on VoiceAmericaKids.tv. America's next great star is waiting to be discovered. 
Step Up to the Microphone is an exclusive presentation for VoiceAmerica.tv, where you can see and hear America's next top child star. The program is hosted by Voice America's own Cassie Frazier, and new episodes will be available every week exclusively at VoiceAmericaKids.tv. You can say you saw them at the beginning of their superstar career. Tune in to VoiceAmericaKids.tv. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, and we've been talking about the marriage of meditation and psychotherapy and his book, Meditative Psychotherapy. We were just beginning to talk a little bit about meditation before we went to break. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's so many questions. I, I keep getting more questions than we ever possibly could have time for. But the question, your book primarily is directed toward meditation on the part of the psychotherapist but you also include patients who meditate and one of the questions i have for you is how you know how do you teach the psychotherapist and and or the patients to meditate do you tell them to find their own way do you have a set way you know since meditation has become so popular now in our Western culture, it's yeah. like every day we have a new and improved way to meditate by somebody who's just learning it themselves. So what do you do? What do you follow? Well, that's a very good question. Let me uh, answer another question first. Let me, let me talk about meditation a little bit first. So first of all, there are many, many, many kinds of meditation, and there are meditations within every religious tradition I can think of, um, from Buddhism to Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, Hinduism, Taoism, Sufism. um, There are just many kinds of meditation. There are secular kinds of meditations that are not linked to spirituality or religion. And even within this, quote, same tradition, there are different schools of thought. So there are many, many kinds of meditation. By meditation, I mean paying careful, non-judgmental attention uh, to whatever we are experiencing, to whatever's happening. And I sometimes say to people, play around with using the word meditative, not meditation. So uh, washing the dishes can be meditative. If you're present, if you're really feeling the water on your hands, you're really feeling yourself scrubbing the dishes, cooking can be a meditation. Uh, talking to someone could be meditation. Listening to someone... So if we think of it as meditative, 
then it raises the question, are we present with the activity we're doing, or is our mind a million miles away? Are we watching the tennis ball when it's coming, or are we thinking about what we're going to cook for dinner later? Um, so that's what I mean by meditation. Uh, I really believe that one of the problems in the way meditation is taught is that it's often assumed that there was a, a best way to do it, which was discovered 2,600 years ago or however many years ago. And we sort of fit people now into those models. And another way to think about meditation that's maybe a little less traditional is that everybody is unique, so the meditation that's going to connect to them might be different than the next person. So what I try to do is get a careful sense of the person, their strengths, their struggles, their uh, interests, and then individually gear it to what uh, uniquely speaks to them. For example, if I had a teenager and I was teaching meditation to, uh, I might say, do you like music? And he, might, he or she might say, I love music. Well, what, what kind of music do you love? I love, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, when you listen to it, are you really listening to it, or are you doing something else? What if you just sat and really tried to become one with the music, really tried to join the music? So that would be a pathway. For someone else, walking in nature might be the best pathway, because they can't sit still, or it just doesn't work for them. For someone else, traditional sitting meditation, where they sit still and follow their thoughts or their emotions or their breath might, might be another way. So I try to individualize it for each person, and I don't... I don't use any one set approach with with everyone. I don't think that's the way to go. Interesting. One of the terms you used when you're talking about meditation, I find really interesting. I'd like to hear more about it, and that's self-blindness. What do you mean by self-blindness? Okay. Some of what is called meditation, I think, is bad science. In that, in good science, you have a theory, and you try to disconfirm it, and then you notice the feedback, the results. Some meditation falls into the trap, of, and some meditation teachers, I think, fall into the trap, of telling people uh, to empty their minds, and then they give them a technique of meditation, whatever kind, let's just say Buddhist, and then later they tell the student what they're going to discover, that everything ceaselessly changes, that the sense they have of who they are is not is really a fiction. It's not they're really not who they think they are. And so what they're doing is emptying their minds and then filling it with um, ideas from a particular meditative tradition. So they're trying, they're, and then the students are predisposed to discover what they're looking for. That's bad science. What that can do is create pockets of self-blindness where you can't see if there are things that contradict the theory that you're hunting for. You're almost looking for confirmation of your experiment, then it's harder to see details that disprove your experiment. So that's what I mean, that meditation, like anything else, like therapy too, it's the same thing with a therapist. If a therapist has a particular theory and they're listening to for that in their client, um, they can create blindness because they can miss something else that's important to the client that falls outside the net of their theory. So again, I'm talking about a kind of listening that's not that really tries to stay with what's being presented instead of hunting for what we already assume and believe. Ah, that makes perfect sense. 
Do do you find that there are some patients that you really can't encourage to meditate that that it would not be good for them? Um, yes, absolutely. Let me let me just uh, clarify something. Uh, not everyone meditates that I work with. Not everyone knows that I've written psychotherapy and Buddhism or the art of flourishing or meditative therapy. And I kind of like that. I mean, sometimes people come to me because someone they know saw me who was a meditator or I've even treated Buddhist teachers. Uh, but some people come to me and they're not meditators. They, they, they have no knowledge of it or interest and they don't do meditation or yoga. And that's fine too. So there's no prerequisite of, uh, of doing anything. And, uh, okay, the second part of your question, uh, I think the way introducing meditation into therapy is often thought about is based on diagnosis. And I think one of the ideas is with a little, with more severe psychiatric diagnoses, meditation seems less appropriate, let's say with schizophrenia and with yeah. more, less Severe diagnoses, let's say someone who's more neurotic or some anxiety, but it's mild, meditation is more appropriate. What I've seen in my experience, and I have a case in there um, that uh, about a man that I write about elsewhere that I taught walking meditation to who was schizophrenic. He was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, and he had a schizophrenic break in the middle of the session, and we saw that we couldn't do uh, normal talk therapy because he was in a horrific panic state, and we did some walking meditation until he calmed down. So I've seen cases where people who were, quote, neurotic, uh, meditation doesn't seem to be helpful to them. They just get more stuck in their own minds and going in a circle and uptight. And I've seen people with more, quote, severe diagnoses where meditation seemed to help. So, I, again, I think it has to be individualized. Which is where, you know, the therapist really has to be tuned. This is where the understanding, the listening and the understanding come in so they can have the right approach to what's happening during that session. Yes. One of the things that I, I just did a workshop at the Brattleboro Retreat Center last Friday for, um, well, not just therapists, some spiritual seekers, therapists, and a range of people. And one of the questions uh, at the end of the day it was a full-day workshop was how do you integrate it into practice? And I told a story about uh, a gentleman who was older than I, who I met at a book party of a mentor of mine some years ago. And the man said to me, you know, I know you've spoken on psychotherapy and spirituality, and this was early on before spirituality was being talked about very much in therapy. It's, it's more popular now, more frequent topic now. And I said, and he said, how do you bring it into therapy? And I said, don't worry so much right now about bringing it into therapy. Worry about bringing it into your life. And so what happens is if we integrate this stuff in our own lives, it becomes clear about how to organically bring it into other parts of our lives. And we know the pitfalls, we know the obstacles, and we can be what I call um, in my book, A Psychoanalysis for Our Time, a jazz improviser instead of a customs official. We can be creative. We can spring from the moment. We're grounded, but we can spring from the moment and do something uh, unexpected and creative. And, and this was one of my questions, uh, and, and so I really would like to look at it a little bit more. In in this marriage that we're talking, really you call it an engagement, <laughs> they're not married yet, um, of meditation and psychotherapy, you really are introducing the spiritual element into therapy, which I find 
wonderfully refreshing and a move toward being a little more holistic. And, and I really appreciate a more holistic approach. Do you see that this idea will catch on a little bit more among other therapists? The idea of meditation and therapy or spirituality in therapy. No, it's, it just seems that it's, for most people, an important component of their therapy. And you know, I think I read more and more. I say this in Art of Flourishing and the Spirituality Chapter, bringing spirituality down to earth and into our lives, that more and more people, when they contact me for, 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 uh, to explore where they want to come for therapy, they ask if I have a spiritual orientation. So I think you're right. There is a sea change in the culture where more and more people are exploring these domains and also interested in whether their therapist will be open to it. Ah, nice. Can yes. we talk a little bit about um, liberated intimacy? Tell yes. me a little more about what you mean by that term. It's one of your third... Um, <laughs> I, I, I've lost my word. No, it's, yeah, a, it's a third the aspect, the third pillar of meditative therapy. Again, genuine listening, understanding the meaning, and then liberated intimacy. So I mean two things by that. I mean... In one of my own therapeutic experiences, I had um, the opportunity of working with an extraordinary person. And what I began to see was that therapy is often not as deep and as rich as it could be. But this person was wonderfully empathic. And what I began to see was that therapy was the arena in which two things happened. The old, old conditioning uh, emerged and got played out. And there were pathways to new forms of relating, uh, new possibilities emerged. So, in other words, it's like the therapeutic relationship became the arena in which you could see what was wrong and what needed healing and compassion, and you also had pathways to transformation. Now, I think that's always been true of therapy, but what I saw in this particular relationship was, was I experienced someone with such profound empathy that I, I began to see this the therapeutic relationship as being much more powerful than it's ordinarily mm. the or, the way it's ordinarily viewed. There's just healing properties in it that are just very powerful, and I feel this is a major contribution to meditative disciplines. The the the, the teacher student relationships, let's say in Buddhism, for example, in Zen, and the meeting between teacher and students called Dokusan, it can be very 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 powerful and transformative. But there's not the intricate mapping of patterns of relationships and characteristic traps that relationships fall into. And Western psychotherapy, especially psychoanalysis, is enormously skilled at at mapping that area. And I, I began to see that that was a contribution to meditative therapy, to look at the therapeutic relationship as a real vehicle for, for change. And on that note, it's time for us to go to break. When we come back, I want to finish that thought. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin. We'll be right back with more. We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
best-selling authors. Find tantalizing new books, learn the latest healthy living tips, and be inspired to coach yourself to success on Star Style. Be the star you are every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on World Talk Radio. The Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her health hero daughter, Heather Brittany, fire up the airwaves with upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Come play with us. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin. We've been talking about meditation and psychotherapy as a unit. Um, but before we get into this very brief se- se- section of the show, I want to ask Dr. Rubin to tell you how you can find him on the Internet and how you can find his really great books. Jeffrey, so, tell us how we find you. So those who want to reach me, uh, my website, Dr. David Robert. Jeffrey Rubin, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, R-U-B-I-N dot com, D-R-Jeffreyrubin dot com. Um, and I have uh, some blogs on there that you can connect to on Psychology Today, on um, HuffPo. You can see writings. And, uh, and I, I like to hear from people. I, I feel like I'm just standing on the shoulders of, of my teachers, and there have been some wonderful teachers I, I've had, starting with Joel Kramer. Uh, and wherever, if, I, if my work has any creativity to it, I feel like an enormous part of it was the generosity and the concern and the support they showed. So I love trying to help people on their own path. So if you have questions, if you read any of these books and have questions or want to engage in a dialogue, please, please feel free to contact me. It's not a burden, but it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure for me. How do they find your books? Uh, all of them, uh, I think you can, you, you can click on on my website. Um, you can order them. You can also order them from the publishers. The Art of Flourishing is Random House, or you can get it from Barnes & Noble or, or Amazon. And the new e-book, Meditative Therapy, The Marriage of East and West, is an e-book that you can get uh, from the Kindle store. But I think you can also you can download it to your Kindle and if you don't have a Kindle, I think there are ways of downloading it to your computer. Absolutely. You can get a free Kindle program for your PC, I, I guess, or a Mac. Um, I have it for a PC, and you can read it right on your computer. I don't have the Kindle to carry around with me. I'm working on that. I, that's my next purchase. Um, it's very easy to read it on your computer. And yep, that's, the way, that's the way to do it. And those interested in for other talks and so forth... 
Um, just check the upcoming talks and workshops and lectures on the website. Good. Now you can reach him. If you forgot any of those things, go to the self-improvement blog. You can find it there. Um, but don't hesitate to explore this whole area. It, to me, it's it's just such a wonderful breath of fresh air to have a new approach to help people. It, it seems that you've introduced so many ideas here that will help people come for help. You know, and I, I have an idea that you're not seeing only people who are seriously mentally ill, but people who are stuck and need some help getting past the roadblocks that, that they're meeting that keep them from being what they want to be or what, you know, having the success they want. Is this true or am I dangerous? This, ex- this is exactly true. And I also see people that just want to seek some enrichment or discover more meaning or reach their fuller potential. Yes, it's a complete range from um, severe emotional distress to people who want uh, just to have a better life. Yep. We're talking about the importance of therapy and and just progressing through this lifetime. This path gets a little circuitous, a little torturous sometimes. And you were saying that, yes, you do see people who just want to improve. Yes, who just feel like they haven't reached their potential or they want to seek more meaning or they want to, uh, you know, explore whether there's even a need to have therapy or be in therapy. Yep, it's a, it's the full gamut. The other thing that you said that really struck me as so positive is that, you know, this helps pave the way for drug-free treatment. You don't have to be on all those psychotropic drugs. One of the things going on in our culture, I think, is I'm going to write a blog about this soon. No one wants to be uh, Virgil anymore, uh, playing off of Dante's Divine Comedy, where Virgil goes down into all the realms of hell with uh, Dante. We're, you know, we're almost a ver- and this goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show about Robert Stallero and, and uh, his writings on trauma. We are so quick to sort of get rid of problems and, and band-aid them up that one of the casualties is we just have trouble sitting with people that are going through stuff and really being with them. But but pe- people really need that, and it's, li- it's life-saving and it's life-affirming. And one of the things you can witness in the culture now is just uh, um, taking the quick route often. And I cannot tell you how many people that I've treated that were on, whether it was major depression or even this person who was schizophrenic, who uh, they're, they're pushed to, to do meds, and sometimes it might be appropriate, like any kind of medi- medication, and sometimes it's just un- unnecessary, and they could do other kinds of interventions and not have side effects and not need uh, That's happened countless times up to the, up to the present. So, yes, we're a culture that wi- wildly over-medicates, I believe. And we often, often it's because we don't want to sit with someone's pain. Someone comes in to a doctor and they complain and maybe the doctor, you know, it's not simply that it's medically necessary, but the doctor, the per- person keeps coming back and they're anxious and they're anxious and finally, so to speak, to shut them up, they're, you know, handed a drug and we don't want to patiently sit with someone to get to the bottom of what's really haunting them. And you say healing does not happen in isolation. 
<laughs> which I, I think is such a powerful statement. No, Ron, and often I've seen miraculous things where when you're willing to be with someone in the reality of their situation without trying to change them and without judging them, just being with them, miraculous things, not always instantaneously, but over time miraculous possibilities for healing and self-transformation do happen. Jeffrey, we're right up to the end of the show. What's the final thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today? We're in a world that's not in a wonderful place, and we really can do better. And what it takes is is being more connected to each other and listening better to each other and and striving for be the striving to be the best we can be it's something i talk about in the art of flourishing striving simultaneously to really take care of ourselves really nourish our souls and be more connected with other people fabulous next week's guest is Jamie Smart who's going to be talking to us about clarity his book clarity and how clarity helps you have a clear mind better performance and bigger results. And remember, we'll be on Voice America at 11 in the morning. Dr. Rubin, it has been so wonderful to have you on again. Thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. And thank you for the work you do, Irene. It's wonderful. Oh, I love doing what I'm doing. Uh, now and then I think I need a good psychotherapist, but most of the time it's such joy. <laughs> This is Irene Conlon and my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, saying thank you for being with us today. Come back again next week when we're on Voice America with more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.